In schools, who has the biggest impact on our students? Teachers do, of course. Who better to share with the perspective, triumphs, and trials of teachers over the past couple years than Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. The AFT represents over 1.7 million educators and healthcare professionals. Here you will hear Jeff describe the importance of leaders listening to teachers, and Randy does an outstanding job advocating for their needs. Enjoy. Educators, leaders, how are you? My name is Jeff Rose, and welcome to Leader Chat. And I know I say this every week, but I think it's because I, I know it's because I believe it. You're in for a treat, and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with these incredible guests that we're bringing to you. The concept is we listen to our leaders, we track what they're struggling with, what they're working on throughout the country, impacting school districts and communities. And then our job is to go find really valuable content to focus on pragmatic perspective to our leaders. And we just seem to be having these incredible people, thought leaders, um, authors, sometimes our own practitioners, just bringing this perspective that we find to be just extremely valuable to our members. Once again, we represent the leadership circle and superintendents, executive teams that are supporting, you know, millions of students. And we're, uh, we're, we're blessed to be able to do this for our people. And today isn't, isn't any different than what we've experienced in the past. And actually, it'll, it's just going to be impressive. And you will see here in a minute. Once again, you're listening to this in one of three ways. You're either watching it live. Many of our members will watch the, the video afterwards. And then, of course, we broadcast this via our podcast, Leader Chat. And so we will have, of course, thousands of people engage that way, too. So today's theme, and a really important one, is kind of all our teacher's perspective. Because obviously, we know the number one influencer as it relates to children in school are our teachers. We believe leaders, of course, matter, and things start and sometimes end with leaders, but the number one influence are our teachers. So it makes incredible sense that we're going to be talking today to Randy Weingarten. Let me read a little bit uh, to you about Randy, and many of you are already familiar with who Randy Weingarten is. Randy Weingarten is president of the 1.7 million member American Federation of Teachers, which represents teachers paraprofessionals, and school-related personnel, higher education faculty and staff, nurses and other healthcare professionals, local, state, and federal government employees, and early childhood educators. Weingarten holds degrees from Cornell University um, School of Law and Labor Relations of the Cordoza School of Law. She worked as a lawyer on Wall Street, on a Wall Street firm from 1983 to 1986. Weingarten is the recipient of many commendations. She was included in Washington, Washingtonians 2021, Washington's Most Influential People, City and State, New York's 2021, New York City Labor Power 100, and Washington Life's 2018 Power 100 list of prominent leaders. And in 2017, she received, she received the Roosevelt Institute FDR Distinguished Public Service Award. In 2013, 
The New York Observer named Weingarten as one of the most influential New Yorkers in the past 25 years. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome to our screen and to your, to your audio waves, Randy. Randy, good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you for doing these. I mean, thank you for doing this kind of every Wednesday, having this connection with people. It's so, so important. So thank you. You know, so um, I'm, I read your bio. I had to shorten it. I mean, you know, Please. As, as I've learned more and more about you, and I've been following you for some time, um, I, w there's certain things I must have missed. So tell us what I did miss. And then also just maybe update us. How are you doing? Things have been you, interesting you times. Missed, you missed that I was a school teacher. <laughs> so, but look, you know, a bio is there to give people something to kind of center on. But the most important thing that I do with my life is that every single day I get to work with people that help other people. I get, a, I get to try and do things that make a difference in the lives, either directly or indirectly, of most Americans, our kids, patients, teachers, public employees. We represent 1.7 million um, teachers, nurses, about 200,000 um, who work in um, hospitals and in private industry, um, professors, adjunct professors, bus drivers. So, but, but the most important thing we do is every single day try to create hope and opportunity. And that's who my membership is. And, and frankly, whether you are a principal, a school teacher, uh, um, uh, you know, a food service worker right now, a bus driver right now, a clinician right now, these are some of the most challenging times um, that, that anyone has ever been in education public or private, because we've gone through a two-year pandemic. You know, maybe it will go away. Maybe it will become an endemic. Maybe, you know, it will be like the Spanish flu and all of a sudden one day it's not there anymore. But we're not used to in America having a prolonged crisis that affects so many people. The last generation that went through a crisis like this was World War II. We're not used to it anymore. We don't have the muscles for it anymore. And, and as a result, in schools, this is where the rubber hits the road of, of having to deal with the anxiety, the challenges, economic, educational, emotional. And, and so when you say, what do you not know? It's more the what do we need to do collectively as an education community to help recover and to do it in a way that we don't, that, that the divisiveness doesn't kill us, that we can find hope in the crevices and we can bring people together in a world that is very chaotic and a world that's very confounding, and a world 
that's very angry and very traumatized. I, I am going to have some questions about the fact that what you just mentioned, that we are divided, we are polarized, and the impact that's having. And maybe before I dive into that, what has this last you know, 18 plus months been like for you? I mean, your, your influence, um, your role, um, it, it, it represents you know, millions of people. And so what has your life been like over the past couple of years as you've tried to navigate this? Because I actually think that's important before, you know, yeah. you represent other people, of course, but, you know, you're a leader. So what has this been like for you? So I actually have a lot more gratitude today than I did two years ago. I'm very, very grateful that, A, I'm alive. Look, I'm an asthmatic. So if I got a bad case of COVID, you know, it would have been very hard. So I'm really, really grateful that I'm alive. I'm really, really grateful that my partner's alive. I'm really, really grateful that we had each other. And we feel an obligation that because of that to really help others. And so I feel um, less, I mean, I, I feel like we're in a moment of time that's really hard. But I, pref I prefer to look at things as a glass half full, not half empty. And, and how do you create the kind of trust and agency and empowerment that people need? So I'm very focused from gratitude to, and, 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 and thankfulness to kind of wanting to do more for others. But that doesn't mean, you know, doing it for others. It means how you create an environment of empowerment and agency so that people feel like they have the tools and the conditions to have a better life for themselves and their families. In terms of just work and, and, and everything else of the last 18 months, I think it's been, you know, I, I will, I, I live in New York. I mean, right now I'm in my office. But I live in, in Washington. I live in New York. And I would say, and I have a sister, by the way, who's a doctor. I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor. I have a niece who's a doctor. And, and, and my nurses in my union, I worried a lot about whether or not people would be okay. I spent a lot of time on the phone trying to get people into hospitals and trying to get people help. I sent a lot of chicken soups to a lot of people you know, deliveries who were sick. Um, so, and I heard a lot of sirens, literally March, 2020, April, 2020, May, 2020, literally every few seconds, it felt like a war zone. So the focus for me has been, how do you help? What do you need to do? How do you help create safety? How do you help create a welcoming environment? And so for me, the last two years has been not just feeling gratitude, but then channeling it into what do we need to do to make sure that people, not only those we represent, but those we serve, have a safe and welcoming environment in which they can, you know, First recover, first be safe, then recover, then thrive. 
Randy, I recently read uh, a piece uh, of yours called Return, Recover, and Reimagine toward a renaissance in America's public schools. And there's these themes that kind of came out. You know, number one, returning to school um, and recovering not being enough, reimagining schools, climate and safety, community schools, civics, and then you also covered assessment. Based upon your lens into education, and of course the you know the the impact that our teachers have been experiencing, because you know that's extensive and, and severe. Looking across the landscape in the U.S., what, what's your primary, maybe just concerns, but also hopes as it relates to that concept of me reimagining and having a renaissance in schools? Well, we're not up to there yet. I wish I had wished that we would be, but I think that Delta and now Omicron kind of took people for a loop that one would have hoped didn't happen over the summer. I would say there was a lot more optimism in June and July. And when I gave that speech in May, I was very optimistic and I'm really proud of teachers and school leaders for, um, literally opening up every single school in America um, and keeping it them open. Um, people are really, they're, you know, they're, they're June tired now. You know, it's like in October. <laughs> like, yeah. is it, yeah. And a lot of that is because, you know, there's, everybody wants this over, you know, whatever, you know, and, and, and wants to get back to a level of normalcy. What I was trying to say in that speech was return and recovery are only the first two steps. Normalcy, you know, what was normal before, we need to reach for more. We need to reimagine more. We need to make sure that every child has access to the promise and potential of public education. But I want to just take a step back and say that even with Delta, even with the divisiveness, um, even with lots of frustration, um, which you know you see, con and 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 frankly, uh, very uh, the attempt by the right wing to split parents and teachers who are natural allies and need to be natural, need to have a relationship for our kids to thrive. So even with all of that. What has happened in these few months from September to December, I heard this in a school, I've been in about 60 schools, 20 states since August 1st, but I heard in a school a couple of weeks ago, I was standing in a doorway with several teachers, we're all masked. They're like, we got this. You know, we didn't have it in September. It was kind of, it was very hard trying to figure out protocols, all the kids, what to do, where kids are. But, you know, people are like, we're getting it. We're getting a routine down. We're getting the kind of um, environment down. Kids are relying on us. We're starting to really focus on the academics. And so I think that whereas we would have liked the recovery period to be last summer in September. Yeah. I think recovery is going to take much this year with the spring starting to we're starting to we'll start to see real kind of sense of mojo back and confidence back 
and an acceleration of learning. And I hope that we'll have lots and lots of different opportunities this coming summer so that if you and I were talking next December, like we're talking now, we would be getting to that reimagine and that renaissance because kids and teachers would have gone through a real recovery period, nursing their, you know, social, emotional with academic acceleration. You know, um, the, from what I've seen, the level of exhaustion you described, not only is it real, I think it was a little bit um, unanticipated, right? We went through a very difficult year last year and then walked into through this summer with some hope. And uh, our members describe um, this year being more exhausting than last, right? And I think partly it's because that hope was, was squelched to a degree, and we walked into the year um, not expecting to be where we were. And, you know, let's, let, let's face it, this, this polarization is exhausting. And I guess my question for you is that what I see is that the focus on kids is sometimes hijacked with this uh, political narrative, right? And so the educator, the leader, you know, fa- feels really squished in between. Whether it's right or left, they just are overwhelmed and not able to actually engage and discuss. And sometimes the things that they feel are the moral imperative because of the political climate. So this hijacking of the focus on kids has been been really tricky. This is not what people signed up for, whether they're a superintendent, whether they are a teacher, or whether they you know, they drive a bus or they are, you know, in, in the food industry. So what, what's your advice for educational leaders on navigating this political turmoil to be able to focus on kids? So I have like three pieces of advice that I would do. I would give people first off, all this is real. And none of us are superhuman this is a really hard, I mean, some people may be, I, I am a mere mortal, but, but give yourself a break. It, this is all real and it's exhausting and all the feelings that people have, it's real. Give yourself a break. It's not going to be, we're not going to fix everything in a minute or time and teachers and superintendents want everything to be solved in a minute. And you're in and so the context of this is important and that's why I keep saying people need to give themselves a break and actually understand that what's going on is is completely different and unprecedented from anything they've been through before. That's number 1. To not pretend that it isn't, it is. Number 2, This is what I've seen that works. In places where people have become problem solvers with each other, like where a superintendent and a union leader, regardless of what relationship used to be, but they really try to solve problems. They really try to work together. They really try to create trust. Those places are doing better. They're, they're just, they're, they're and, and, and they may, because what's happened is that there's, there's a sense of we're in it together and there's a teaming. 
but it has to be real and it has to be authentic. And, and, and so those places are, are doing better. And number three, it's we have to bring our education community together. We have to make, be intentional. This is why I love community schools so much, because it is the infrastructure that helps enable it. Everybody is stressed right now in very different ways. A, a, a parent who, you know, some of those parents who are outside screaming at a school board because their kids are wearing masks, they're, they're bleeding for their kids. Yes, we can say as educators or as public health experts that the dissemination of the virus um, and the risk of that outweighs the um, being able to see a kid's face in a class. And therefore, while the virus rages on, whether it's Delta or beforehand, obviously masks are important to stop that dissemination. We're doing that risk analysis. But an individual parent may be saying, I got over COVID or we don't have COVID in our home. My kid is biting on that mask. I want that mask off. We have to find a way to bring people together on these issues, to trust each other, to hear each other. Because if we don't do that, then what's going to happen is we'll never get through the divisiveness that other people want to have happen because they're using it like Christopher Rufo and others in the right wing to just get rid of public schools. So that's why these are my three pieces of advice. Number one, this is real. It's the first time we've had a major crisis, national crisis since World War II in this depth and length and we're not used to it. Number two, be a problem solver with the people who you work with. Labor management problem solving right now is more important than ever. Get rid of the old roles, try to figure that out. And number three, bring people together. Um, and, and so those are, you know, and, and then obviously in different places, there's like different, you know, I'm, I didn't even start and any of the strategies of teaching and learning. We got to work on social, emotional, and we have to work on, I wouldn't say learning loss. I would say, how do we make sure that kids have a good academic year, want to be in school, enjoy school, wake up in the morning saying, I'm getting something out of school. I'm getting my mojo back. I'm getting my confidence back. So that's why the social, the emotional, and the academics are very tied in. But we have to think about this year as a full year and, and really focus not, not on in September, a third grader should be in X place. We should really be thinking about what should a third grader be doing for the whole year? You know, there, there is an opportunity in front of us in education, and it'll be interesting to see if we're able to, to, to grasp it. There is a little bit uh, of an opportunity of, of somewhat of a refresh. Number one, yes. let's, let's, let's face it, a, a conversation between, say, leadership and association 
say, obviously we're in this together. What does it look like in the future as opposed to trying to hash out some of our old policies and agreements of the past? That's an opportunity. I don't believe that learning loss is the right way to think about this, right? I agree with you. If you describe it as loss, well, then we've all faced loss and now we're just on a new plane. Let's talk about moving forward. What does just moving forward look like based upon where we are? Let's not try to compare us to where we might have been had this pandemic not happened. It actually doesn't make any sense, right? So there it is does, It doesn't because, but that, Jeff, that's why I'm saying people don't have the muscle. Like, if we were our parents, at least my parents grew up during World War II. My father was in the Korean War. I, I, I really, you know, wish I had them right now to hear their stories. I've heard it from cousins and others about what it was like to, you know, to live through World War II, not in a war zone, but here, the sacrifices, the pulling together, the, you know, the, 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 our, 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 you know, our defense forces, risking their lives every day. We don't have the muscle here. Like we, like I am sure they didn't talk about learning loss at that point in time. They talked about, you know, it was a very patriotic conversation about what we need to do together to move a country. And so I think that we get into a conversation, we, we don't have that muscle of how to move together as a country in a countrywide crisis. That's that's the muscle that once you see this divisiveness, that's the muscle that we've we've lost. And and but in terms of what you just said about about actual learning and learning loss, the moment we talk about it as learning loss, even in terms of not even thinking about where we would have been if we didn't have a pandemic. It, it sends a message to kids and to also to teachers and to parents that something has been a failure when it's been COVID that has put us in this, this position. And kids learn great resilience during this period of time. They may not have learned the, 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 you know, the, the mathematical equation that they should have been at by you know, fourth grade, first semester, but they've learned something different. And part of the ingenuity and the creativity of, of teachers and principals is to actually find ways of taking what they have learned and using that to channel all sorts of other things to make kids feel great about themselves. I, I hate to bring this up because you probably get asked this all day. The worry about, um, you know, our, our current but mostly future teacher shortage because of the impact of what this is this has had and there's a lot of factors at play here what are what are some of your thoughts relative to what we can do in terms of direction nationally locally and so forth because this is currently impacting our classrooms um, at all levels, not just classrooms, but administration and communities, but also the worry about what is to come based upon some of that data. Um, what are some of your thoughts? I know there's no silver bullet, 
I'm just curious because this must be an ongoing discussion for you. Well, I'm sick and tired of people managing for decline. So, and I, meaning like they'll say, well, we don't have enough teachers, therefore we shouldn't lower class size. When right now in the midst of a, um, of getting out of a pandemic and trying to meet individual student needs, lowering class size is probably one of the best strategies we could have. That and also having the, you know, either community schools or other kinds of wraparound services so that we are really meeting on a just-in-time basis the emotional and social needs of kids, you know, and making school fun and things like that. So when somebody will say, well, we don't have the money, so we're going to cut art, we're going to cut music, or we're going to not, we're going to increase class size. This is exactly the wrong strategy at that moment. We need to actually make the um, two things. We need to make school fun and joyous. So kids wake up every morning and say, I want to be there. Number two, we need to make the conditions for teaching and learning something that future you know, college graduates or, you know, future college enrollees, high school seniors or juniors say, I want to do that. But what's amazing is that lots of kids want to make a difference in other people's lives. And teaching is one of the ways that you do that. Lots of people who, are, you know, want to been in one career, want to go to another career, you know, want to say, okay, I'll, I'll change mid, mid, mid-career and I'll become a teacher. People want, there's enough people that want to make a difference in other people's lives that we shouldn't have a shortage of teachers. The reason we have a shortage of teachers is that we don't make the conditions sufficient for people to be able to do that job. So the will is there, but it takes a superhuman being to actually do that job well, given the conditions that are mostly offered in America, including, you know, in, you know, salaries that that do not befit the profession, um, conditions that are uh, that that do not um, that are not, you know, suitable for teaching and learning. Whether it's you know crumbling buildings or oversized classes or ventilation that we've been fighting for for years and years that now we know is absolutely essential to deal with a respiratory virus. Um, the, the not having voice or agency to, to say, this is a better way of teaching the effects of slavery. Let me teach it the way I know how to. Let me let have, have confidence in me Trust me that I can reach my kids in a better way than, you know, some teacher proof curriculum. So that's why I say that there's enough people in the United States that want to make a difference in the lives of others. We have to make the job one that has conditions that enable them to do that, respect that enables them to do it, compensation that enables them to do it. And guess what? We wouldn't have a teacher shortage. So this this creating conditions, I, I believe, creates an opportunity, especially as it relates to what we faced. Because right. if we if we think of education 
in the future based upon what we've experienced in the same way through the same lens, I actually think the conditions for teachers will get worse. If we are willing to to reimagine, if we are willing to redefine some roles, responsibilities, pressures, issues of accountability, etc., the things that have actually been driving teachers crazy as it relates to their own workload, I think there is an opportunity to create a, a new narrative specific to what educating in the public, even private sector, actually can look like. But our public schools, the narrative of our public schools, if it doesn't start to shift and change, it can actually go the other direction. I think the conditions, concept, and word is really relevant right now. And it's a prime opportunity to do it over the next year right. plus. So I'm pleased to hear you say that. And I'm not wanting and to- And Jeff, look, we yeah, got please. the money. We got the money from the American Rescue Plan to do that. So those districts that said, well, I don't know if we'll have the money in five years from now. Okay. It's manna from heaven right now. Use it right now to recover that's what it was intended to do. It was intended as a rescue and recovery. And if we prove to people that we've used the money well, then we'll get more of it. Because at the end of the day, the future is our kids. And then all of a sudden we'll have a group of people who say, oh, yeah, we should have had community schools or we should have more career tech ed or we should have more project based instruction or this is a better way of assessing what kids know and can be able to do than a test, you know, every, you know, every um, three weeks assessing where kids are. So uh, I agree with you in terms of kind of leaning in on, on working together, trying new things, taking those risks, particularly at a moment of time when our kids need it. And, and and our teachers want it. They they want to be able to meet the needs of kids right now. So that's why, you know, I go back to what I said to you earlier in terms of if 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 association or you know, we call it a union and leadership actually work together, try to solve a problem, take a risk of showing, you know, the school community that this is how they're trying to solve a problem. It creates that distributive leadership. It creates that agency and it creates hope. You know, so, so I, you know, it's kind of like the reimagining because we're still in the middle of a, you know, of a, of a crisis that I think will be inspiring and will be the antidote to the division we now feel. One, um, one major reason I was looking forward to this conversation is, as I learned as an educational leader in the past, a superintendent in a few different places, when, when I was able to work really well with our association or union, it was, uh, it was when I listened. It's when I took the time to, instead of trying to focus on this is my perspective or our perspective, if I really listen to what the perspective of teachers were. It helped me, which is why I really wanted to hear, you know, your representation because you represent so many teachers. So in the leadership circle, we do very little talking at people. Most of our 
focus is gathering people around a table to, to look at the kind of collective wisdom of the, of the room. But this is the one time we actually do talk to people, right? It's through this leader chat. But if you and I kind of envision sitting around a table and we're sitting with educational leaders who support teachers and communities, what would be your brass tacks, pragmatic, this is what I recommend you focus on because this is where teachers are right now. What would you kind of want to leave them with? What would you want them to hear? So this is, and, and I'm so glad you said that about listening. The first thing I would do is I'd spend half an hour listening. You'd spend, because you, you need to hear where people are top of the mind. I mean, it's kind of like, and I'm sure you've done this too, the two things that I still take with me from teaching are it's not what's said, it's what's heard. And meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. It'd be nice if where they are and where you want them to be is the same, but part of the art and science of teaching, if you're you know, a social studies teacher like I was, is that you get you get your kids to at least an understanding of the facts, you know, by an end of a uh, uh, of a class that you hope that they were at, you know, at the beginning. But you get them there. You get, and then, and I'm going to say this really quickly. It's not, and then what we do is not um, teach kids, you know, um, what to think. We teach kids how to think. I want to just say that quickly, as I've, you know, every time I think about curriculum, I realize, let me not be, be clear about that. So what I would want to do is I would want to hear where people are. I want to hear what the top of their mind is. I want to hear where they were. And, and then, you know, take a few minutes, if I had an hour with leaders, Take that 15, 20, 30 minutes to hear where people were, see what the similarities, the differences were, and then start based upon where they are, kind of coming up with very practical solutions to move out of whatever box people felt trapped in. That's what I would do. It's not because I think what happens is. If you try with with anyone, they're focused right now on, oh my God, my school, my kids need counseling and I don't have counselors in the school. Or, you know, and 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 that is what I am focused on. And kids are bouncing off walls, or there's a lot of anger, or it doesn't feel like a welcoming place or kids don't feel safe, or teachers are exhausted. If, if, if you're in that situation, and then somebody comes in and says, well, this is what you need to do. You need to create a welcoming and safe environment. Somebody's going to look at you and say, oh, you're not solving my problem. You're just making it worse because now I feel like a failure that you're telling me what I should do. And clearly, it's December, and I haven't done that yet. So that's why I would say if I was, you know, as as you and I are doing right now, listening, as you just said, coming up with solutions together so that there's real agency. I would do that the first time I would meet with people. And and frankly, 
there's a bunch of different strategies that really would help now. One of those strategies might be a community school setup. One of those strategies may be just because we have the money now from the American Rescue Plan, hiring some, even if we have to do it out of house, even if we have to do it with an agency, getting restorative circles, getting guidance services, doing intervention strategies, um, getting nurses into schools, getting social workers into schools, making sure that we have right in time things to do, and then finding ways that kids and teachers feel really successful in very tangible ways this year. I used to tell people that um, I still do. No one has a corner on the market when it comes to being busy. That being said, um, trying to arrange the opportunity for us to chat, I I know what your schedule is like. And it is so generous that you were willing and able to make this happen. And I know you're squeezing this in. You're probably looking at your watch thinking, I have a meeting right now. You probably do. So thank you so much for being willing to share your perspective because it's my hope in this conversation that our leaders, educators, and across Cognia, they have a chance just to listen because of your lens and who you represent. So I'm really appreciative of you and your time today. And let me just extend, let me, let me, let me be back at you in terms of my gratitude, which is thank you for wanting to hear from a teacher leader. I think that's, I mean, it's really important that, you know, that, that you wanted to, but also to the people who are listening, it's probably the toughest year that any of us have engaged in, in teaching and learning. And I just am really grateful to everyone who is engaged right now in trying to help our kids recover and thrive and understanding that we got to all do it together um, with a respect for each other in the education community. And, and that's hard right now because of all the divisiveness and the polarization. So I just want to express great gratitude to the people in your network for doing the work they're doing. It really is God's work and it's the work of, of, of nation building um, and, and of building not only a better democracy, but of ensuring that our kids have a future. So thank you. God's work indeed. Thank you so much, Randy. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I think you can probably understand why this was an important conversation to listen to. The intent was to provide an, an opportunity and an atmosphere where we could hear what our teachers are thinking and feeling through the representation. Um, I know that I'm appreciative, and I certainly know that you, I hope that you heard what Randy said and that you're doing noble work. Whether you are teaching, whether you are leading, you are doing noble work. Um, Everyone, uh, thank you for listening or engaging in leader chat. Be well.